This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Pokertov, good morning. How are you? Pokertov, just to follow up the story from yesterday regarding mm. the funeral that was held for, uh, um, for Sergeant Maxim Molchanov, who was the IDF soldier killed on Thursday. Um, his funeral was held at the Kiryat Shaul Cemetery yesterday in Tel Aviv at the military cemetery. Not quite the 30,000 people who attended uh, Max Steinberg's uh, funeral in Jerusalem those years ago, but certainly many hundreds of people from around Israel turned up um, for the funeral. Um, and the funeral was actually delayed because of trouble that uh, was experienced in releasing his father, Evgeny, to come from Ukraine for the funeral because there is a blanket travel ban at the moment on males leaving Ukraine in general and um, the Israeli foreign ministry had to work very very hard with the Ukrainian government to allow Maxim's father to come to attend the funeral and he was eulogized by a number of people members of his family but in particular by Lieutenant Colonel Oren Futusi who is the commander of the battalion of the artillery corps where Maxim mm. served as a soldier. And he said uh, Maxim immigrated from Israel to Israel from Ukraine at the age of 14. He actually came as a high school student, studied in Israel, enlisted as a lone soldier in a com- combat battalion out of desire to fulfill his dream of becoming a combat soldier. And then he addressed his uh, parents, Evgeny and Larissa, and said, you sent here a child with values and dreams you did amazing work with Maxim's upbringing and education, and I thank you for allowing us to enjoy him. I apologize for not bringing him back safely. Those were the words mm. of Lieutenant mm. Colonel Oren Petrusi, who's the commander um, of the battalion, the artillery corps. And he also revealed that Maxim was part of the team that fired towards Lebanon in July in response to anti-tank guided missiles that came over the border from um, Lebanon, and of course it was ironic that he was killed on Thursday in a non-combat situation. He was an off-duty soldier who happened to be walking along the side of the road towards a bus um, that was going to take the soldiers to a team-building exercise when um, the uh, a ramming attack took place um, and he was knocked over by the vehicle that rammed into this group of soldiers and unfortunately he was killed. It was also revealed that recently he donated bone marrow to a 12-year-old boy in Germany. They were found to be a match, and he donated bone marrow to Mm. save that child's life, um, which was really part of a program that's undertaken by the IDF um, in order to try to match people Mm. needing bone marrows with soldiers in the IDF. And uh, Maxim was uh, fortunate to be able to be matched with that 12-year-old and he donated his bone marrow to save that young boy's life.
What a sad story, uh, really crazy. Uh, and uh, then we move on to judicial reform. I find this so frustrating, Again. yeah, because a copy of the judicial reform compromise, the plan was leaked to the press, and this, in fact, could now jeopardize this plan succeeding. Um, this is a very, very crazy story, and one wonders who was responsible mm. for leaking this to the press, but it says a lot about the world in which we live in in general and what's going on here at the moment. So what we understand from the story is that um, President Isaac Herzog had been working very, very hard behind the scenes with the leaders of the various parties to try to create a compromise plan. And apparently this compromise plan had advanced quite significantly. In other words, the prime minister had apparently uh, given his approval to the outline of this agreement and there was currently work going on with the National Unity Leader, Benny Gunz, who was the focus for negotiators trying to get him to agree to the plan because we understand that the opposition leader, Yair Lapid, um, was not too inclined to agree. We also understand that members from within the coalition, on the right wing of the coalition, particularly uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir's Otsmai party, were not going to agree to the plan, but that there was already significant support for the plan that might have seen the plan pass through the Knesset with a little bit more support when it was leaked out to the press. And then everybody was scrambling to deny that they knew anything about this or that they had even given their approval um, to this mm. plan. And so it seems as if, as if, though, as a result of this leak, it might spell the end of the potential coalition plan. The outline, as we understand it, um, would have seen a new but more muted law to cancel the re reasonableness standard. So I don't exactly know what more muted means, and we don't have a lot of detail about what the proposal was for the more muted version of the cancellation of the reasonableness standard. But in particular, it would have seen a freezing of any legislation regarding judicial reform for at least another year and a half. And also, it, it, uh, very importantly, it would have seen the Judicial Selection Committee, which is also currently um, highly controversial, no changes being made to the makeup of the Judicial Selection Committee. And uh, the, the, um, this would effectively have put the judicial reform issue onto the back burner and allowed us to move on. But as a result of this leak now, um, of course, Yariv Levine, who is the Minister of Justice and has been very much a proponent of the judicial reform process, he's come out saying he's never heard of this. He doesn't know where this would have come from. There's no possible way that the prime minister would have gone behind his back to discuss something that he didn't know about. There is This is just a nonsense. It's a complete nonsense. And and so it goes on. Uh, Benny Gunz has admitted that the plan had been presented to him and that it wasn't what he termed a dream in terms of what a, a plan outline might well, look like. Well, it's a compromise. Like, I mean, surely it's never going to be a dream. If it's a dream for both parties, exactly. then there shouldn't have been this argument in the first place. Exactly. So compromise means that everybody disagrees with it to the same extent and mm. they can move forward and, and, and somehow put it in place. Um, but what, what's interesting for me and what's also been the subject of discussion in the public domain about all of this that's gone on is how important... 
a public feedback is in this whole process. Prime Minister Netanyahu, from his early days as Prime Minister, has always been very, very concerned about public opinion. And he was one of the people who really instigated this whole process of getting uh, uh, feedback from the public about potential plans, going out with surveys. He was the one who really implemented surveys and has been continued um, with successive prime ministers over the years. Everybody's really been very, very interested in and, and getting surveys as to how the public might respond. And of course, now in the world of social media, you don't need those formal surveys anymore because it's all online and it's all instant and it gets fed back very, very quickly indeed. Once it gets out into the public domain, there's no possible way of stopping that train. And so here we see that this whole idea of being so concerned about what the public response will be to various government proposals, decisions that need to be made, has ultimately backfired in this particular case. It seems as if though it's backfired. And the leadership that we would like to see from our elected officials seems to be lacking Nobody's willing to stand up and say, this is what I am proposing. I believe in it. I know that for now the public don't particularly like it, but I think that this is what is in the best interest of our country in order to bring this sad situation to an end and to move ahead with more constructive things that we need to achieve. Uh, and I fear, unfortunately, that the work that the president has done behind the scenes to try and bring this compromise together may well be fatally damaged. Mm. Absolutely terrible. It's just uh, really awful. The IDF spent a few hours in the Tulkaram uh, refugee camp. That was on Monday night to clear out explosives in a warehouse and other threats. Was this a successful operation? Well, it seems to have been a successful operation and not very widely reported, ironically, because when we think about where Tulkaram is situated... Um, it's an Arab town that is approximately 30 kilometers from Netanya and also probably the same distance from Kfar Saba. So we're talking about an Arab town that's really right on top of quite highly densely populated Israeli towns and cities. And we see that the IDF went into this Nur Shams refugee camp, which is on the outskirts of Tulkaram. And the fact that a refugee camp even still mm. exists mm. Um, mm. on the outskirts of Tulkaram is the subject of an entirely separate discussion. We've, we've mentioned a few times before, at least I've mentioned a few times before, my views on the fact that these refugee camps are allowed to continue to exist years and decades later. It really shouldn't be the case, and yet there is certain interests involved um, to uh, perpetuate the lives of these refugee camps. We don't see this anywhere else in the world. Seriously, this is just a shame that people are being allowed to continue to exist in refugee camps. And what goes on in these refugee camps is also highly dangerous because, as we've seen with the idea of going into the Nur Shams refugee camp near Tulkaram, we saw these heavy machinery bulldozers going in in order to clear roads in the camp. And as there's a, actually a video clip showing the bulldozer clearing a tarred road in the refugee camp. And as the road is being cleared and, and the tar is being lifted by the bulldozer, an explosive goes off. Mm. So these are explosives that have actually been hidden underneath the tar in the road to, to try to somehow protect 
um, or to, to, to create some sort of an obstacle for the idea of coming in, some sort of a, um, a trap for IDF soldiers who potentially might come into this refugee camp. And then we see uh, a, an explosives warehouse which was discovered and subsequently demolished by the IDF. And then the entire operation lasted four hours. Nobody really can tell whether they managed to clear out all of the threat that existed within that refugee camp. But the fact that this even exists within a residential area and within a refugee camp, which is being uh, inhabited by so many people, is really just crazy. And it sort of ties in as well to an entirely different story where the IDF have come across um, explosives that are being exported from Gaza towards the West Bank. So there is quite a significant flow of goods and services from Gaza to the West Bank. And, of course, the IDF have some control. Israeli security have control over the flow of those goods and services. And all of a sudden, within what is really packaged as civilian items, we, they suddenly discover a whole lot of explosives um, underneath that, hidden away, and an attempt to try to export that from Gaza to um, the Palestinian Authority area. And it shows without any doubt that there is a massive flow of arms and explosives that are going from Gaza towards the Palestinian Authority area, a lot of coordination between those two. And, of course, the IDF trying to step into the middle along with the other uh, security agencies um, that Israel has in order to stop this flow and to potentially try to limit the threat that uh, comes with it as a result of um, this being used to attack civilians in those areas. Mm. It is just, uh, these stories are just remarkable. Finally, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke yesterday to Prime Minister Netanyahu and to Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, and that's amidst growing reports of a normalization deal with Saudi Arabia. Uh, Also, doesn't look like uh, a lot of progress was made. What's the latest there? Well, it's interesting that on the one hand, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, um, holds these two phone calls in one day with both the Prime Minister and the Palestinian Authority President. And then on the same day, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says, actually, the progress with Saudi Arabia is not all that. It's pretty slow. Nothing really seems mm. to be happening there. So one doesn't really know how to interpret some of these actions. Now, it's clear that um, Antony Blinken was calling about something. And the readouts don't necessarily reflect all of the details of what was discussed, obviously, because they're not going to make public um, a lot of the more secret um, discussions that take place. But the readout was fairly benign. You know, Anthony Blinken discussed uh, West Bank tensions and he discussed um, the um, upcoming, or he discussed some of the discussions that are going on with Saudi Arabia. And um, he talked about uh, advancing a two-state solution to try to address the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So it all seemed to be all very up in the air and not necessarily very, very concrete actions on the ground, um, real-life, day-to-day issues that were discussed. So it's not exactly clear what led to the Secretary of State yesterday calling both the Prime Minister and the President of the Palestinian Authority. Um, But, of course, 
um, speculation is right that this is really all about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. And what we understand uh, coming out of Saudi Arabia is that the deal that's being discussed with the United States is really a deal between Saudi Arabia and the United States. And along the way, the United States is saying we are going to draw in a normalization process with Israel. So this deal is not purely and mostly focused on normalization with Israel. This is some sort of a deal that's really focused between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. And I'm guessing that the U.S. is trying to steal back the relationship that Saudi Arabia has forged with Iran, which is highly problematic. And along the way, it's added on a separate kind of clause that this will also involve some normalization with Israel. And I'm guessing that that's really what Anthony Blinken was calling yesterday to discuss with both Mahmoud Abbas mm. and mm. Prime Minister Netanyahu. And, of course, people are speculating as to whether that mean, means maybe that Prime Minister Netanyahu may still get to see uh, President Joe Biden when he's due to visit the U.S. later this month. I really would love to tell him that. I'm sure it's not all it's cracked up to be. Anyway, that is where we leave it, Anthony Rock. Thank you as always. We'll catch you tomorrow morning at 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Dot com.